Welcome, my name's Simon Gregory, and I'm joined in conversation by Habib Subjali, who's Head of Global Equities at RBC, and his colleague Jeremy Richardson, Senior Portfolio Manager. I wanted to spend a bit of time talking about team culture, because I think it's often overlooked, but what we're doing in portfolio management is, is a team endeavour. And one of the things that I know is very important to you, Habib, is that you have a team that focuses on continuous improvement. And just, just somewhat interestingly, you, you came up with a stat in one of your LinkedIn posts um, a, a few days ago about driving and the poll of drivers, they were surveyed and 68% of drivers claim they were above average, which is a remarkable statistic because it's <laughs> impossible. Um, but what it tells us is you have to, be, um, have to be judicious in your understanding of the data. And what, what, what can you do with the, you know, the huge amounts of data that your team produces to help you get better over time? ultimately, clearly for the benefit of your invested clients. Yeah. Uh, hi, Simon. You know, that, that survey on, uh, on driving was, was really interesting. And uh, we obviously know, all of us know lots of people who, are, uh, who drive cars and, um, you know, roughly half of them will be below average. And even when you talk to the ones who constantly have scrapes and bumps uh, and, and get into minor accidents, uh, even with them, it's always someone else's fault, right? <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I think that same survey said less than 1% of drivers uh, claim to be below average. So th there is a, a real bias here about how, how people yeah. view themselves. Mm -hmm. But I, I think in that post, I also mentioned uh, golfers. Um, yeah, I, I haven't played golf for many a year now, but when I talk to my friends who are golfers, I can't remember a single one who said that they were above average. In fact, they'll tell you how far below average they are using their handicap. And, and not only uh, that they're below average, they'll tell you why they're below average, because they'll tell you that, you know, their short game is terrible or, you know, they always slice the, uh, the ball with the, with the wedge or, or whatever. They, they'll go into huge amounts of detail. Unusual for a golfer. And the difference is, the difference between people who drive cars and, and play golf is that golfers record detail, every aspect of their game. They record it, they record it in these special apps, in these databases, they analyze it, they see what they can, where, where they're dropping shots, where they can improve, they change their training routines and they get coaching to help improve. That doesn't happen when you drive a car. So it's all about, about data. So in the, in the same way, we as a team, uh, we've been together now oh, oof, 11 and a half years, almost 12 years. And uh, over that period, pretty much every single decision we've made, we've recorded in a database. So even if we have looked at a stock and decided to pass on it because we didn't like the management or the business model or whatever, even that gets recorded in a database. So we can now go back and we do this regularly, you know, at least a couple of times a year, uh, look at the data that's accumulated in this database and, and look to see uh, where we can improve. Uh, we spend a lot of time, well, we spend a little bit of time on our successes because that's what we want to, to replicate. But we spend the vast majority of time on the mistakes because that's where you can uh, improve the most. 
And that has the biggest uh, impact. But in order to learn from your mistakes, uh, there's one other vital um, component that you need, apart from having the data. You also need a culture where it's safe to admit to making mistakes. Yeah. It's fine yeah. to actually be honest and say, I made an error of judgment here. Because essentially, that's that's what our mistakes are all about. They are errors of judgment. What we do is we are making forecasts about the future, about where businesses are going to be in five years' time, 10 years' time, three years' time, uh, based on incomplete information. We don't have the full data set to make those, those, those judgments. And because these are long-term judgments, uh, fear and greed and other emotions set in, and you can overestimate or underestimate the potential of a business. And that's where we make uh, errors. So it's important for people to, uh, to, to be honest with themselves as to why they got too optimistic or too pessimistic, and then share that with, with, our, with the team, with the other sort of 10, 11 people in the room. And that then enables us to either design a control to make sure that we don't make that uh, mistake again, or at least that we uh, develop a, a realization, sort of embed that mistake into the collective memory of the team, so that uh, when a similar situation arises, you know, sort of light bulbs go off amongst a few team members at least to say, hold on a minute, don't you remember when we did X, Y, Z? And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, in, in, in that respect then, uh, Jeremy, I'm going to put you on the spot ever so slightly. You've been covering consumer names for many, many years now. Could you share with us perhaps some examples where you, you've learned either from successes or, or for things that perhaps haven't quite worked, worked so well and how you've put that into practice to make sure that, that these things perhaps don't, don't reoccur? Sure, sure. So um, in the spirit of... Uh, of sharing and then <laughs> <laughs> openness. Thanks, yeah. openness. Yeah. So um, actually, to go back to the point about the data, actually, mm. so one of mm. the things that data really does is that it really can illuminate uh, biases that we may have. Yeah. And actually these biases, to the extent that they're characterized by an investment philosophy, can be really helpful. But if they fall outside of investment philosophy, they can lead you astray and, and cause problems. So uh, by recording all the data that we all the decisions that we've made, we're able to identify our own biases. And it's like looking at that data, um, this is going back uh, several years, in terms of my own judgments, actually I could see that I was uh, had a bias in favour of turnarounds. I mean, they were beguiling. If you, get a, yeah. if you get a turnaround and it really, really works for you, then you can make several times your money. I mean, not like 2x, it's sort of multiples of that, 4 or 5x if you're, if you're fortunate. And so, actually, there's a there's a lot of potential gain um, to be had by getting a turnaround that really, really works for you. But actually, if you look at the data, if you look at the data, it's quite apparent that most turno most turnarounds, they fail. They don't work. They're incredibly risky. Very risky in comparison to uh, other. Uh, businesses that are sort of um, perhaps steady accumulators of uh, of shareholder value. Does that mean that you shouldn't do turnarounds? Not necessarily, no, because actually you know, they, they, some of them will work. But actually, when you're approaching a turnaround, you need to be super, super careful uh, and almost apply uh, almost a higher duty of care to what you're doing because the, the chances of failure are, are so much more elevated. And so one of the things that we've learned and sort of I've learned you know, personally 
is to be patient when it comes to a turnaround. Don't rush in. Um, you can afford to be wait and to get some early signs of success. You can afford to wait and get validation. And actually by doing that, you might not get 4x your return, but you might get 2x. And actually from a risk-adjusted return basis and the probability of success, that's a much better trade-off than um, you know, being greedy and, and, and rushing in. And the data can do that. The data can do that. And so, so do you think having a, having a sort of open and collaborative team structure uh, allows you to really push against any one individual's cognitive biases and, and we, we all have them. Absolutely we do. So being aware of them, hmm. uh, and, and let's face it, you know, we have a pretty diverse team. We have some optimists, we have some pessimists, we have some naturally happy people, we have some <laughs> grumpy people. <laughs> and uh, no, I won't ask. <laughs> but, but, well, <laughs> they, they know who they are. <laughs> but as, as a team, that's a really good, good balance. I mean, I, I you know, sort of, when you have a, a, a really interesting idea that, that one and someone's really optimistic about, you know, you want to run past the, the pessimist on the team. If we can get past, past, past them, then we know we're really onto something. And, and that is something about a team dynamic that develops over time and where you, you have that trust and that communication. And, and I think that the, the sense of purpose of the team uh, is, is so important that you know the only thing that really matters is getting the right decision for the portfolios. And, and do you think that naturally attracts a certain sort of individual? Or do you look for certain qualities in people? That... I, I think that's undoubtedly the case. Uh, you know, I, I'd be interested in Jeremy's thoughts on this too, but you know, anyone who's a loner wants to do this on their own, in, in their mm -hmm. own way, uh, I don't think is, is going to fit into the way we work because I think we have to recognize that we are all uh, somewhat limited. The, the, the amount of information that is out there uh, cannot be, no matter how bright you are, cannot be ingested and, and deployed by any one person. This has to work as a team. I don't, I don't think it's that controversial, you know. So we, mm. we operate in a very competitive industry. We know that any investor, any client has numerous choice opportunities for, uh, to select uh, managers with whom they can invest their money. And all of them may do a, uh, a fairly decent job. So it's an incredibly, incredibly competitive industry. So there's, you know, we don't take it for granted that we're necessarily going to succeed. And so there's always this pressure to continue to improve what we're doing in order to be able to delight uh, our, uh, our clients with the, the investment returns that they, they are getting. So if, they, if we can identify a way that make, um, to make an improvement, to get better, um, then of course we're going to go for that. Uh, and so I can think of the things that we, you know, over, over time, you know, these, are, these are not revolutionary, but these are just sort of incremental things that we've done along the way. So for example, you know, uh, sources of information. You know, going back 12 years ago, databases were not what they are today. And in particular, things around, for example, environmental, social governance. I mean, the moniker itself didn't exist. But today, there's a plethora of ESG information, a lot of which that we, uh, we use because we think that it helps us come up with more complete uh, assessments of investments. Um, the other thing that we would, we've tried to do in a much more systematic way is this question of, of management. You know, we want to partner with... Um, with management teams who can operate the business in a responsible way over the long term. And that actually requires often quite qualitative, judgmental 
type of, um, of decisions. And you know, they're not easy, they're quite tricky. Um, and anything that we can do in order to be able to uh, uh, make those types of decisions better, uh, we, of course we're gonna, we're, we're gonna grasp that with, with both hands. Um, one example of, um, of that would be to try and uh, capture unspoken information. Uh, which might sound a little odd. I mean, how can you mm. capture information that isn't there? Uh, but if I was to ask somebody for a reference and that person's reference came back and it didn't say anything about being trustworthy or honest, then actually I would think that's slightly strange. So one of the things that we've tried to do is actually sort of in the words that we choose to describe the, the way that the culture of an organization, the way the company is being um, managed, you know, what are the words that are not being used? And why, why, what is it about that choice that enabled, that encourages us to describe a particular culture of a, of a business in one way, um, but not another? And we're trying to be explicit about identifying those unspoken words um, uh, in, in a way that then can illuminate the, what we really think on both in the positives and in the negative side about a, uh, about a management team. Um, so you know, these are all sort of slight things that we've done over the course of uh, you know, the last 11 to 12 years or so, which... Um, we hopefully have made it uh, you know, continue to hone up what we like to think of as our competitive advantage, mm. um, and, and which have enabled us to to uh, you know, to continue to invest in in ourselves, and, and, and therefore the returns we're able to generate. And, and do you have any any sort of formal mechanism for assessing whether your you know, continuous improvement works, or is it just sort of ad hoc on the job, day in day out stuff? Well, we're very good at giving feedback to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's an important part of it. Yeah. But we do uh, have these formal offsites mm -hmm. a couple of times a year. Well, they're not really offsites. Uh, let's let's call them meetings because we we go off <laughs> to a meeting room uh, on a different floor in our building. Not, not um, the trip to Hawaii. And, and, no, sadly not. But um, but but these these meetings are are quite intense. There's a lot of preparation that goes uh, goes into this. We're analyzing a lot of data, looking at at what happened, why it happened, why we thought what we did, and uh, could we have anticipated things, and, and so on, and, and sort of event studies. and uh, But we examine all aspects of what we do, whether uh, our, you know, our trading, uh, not just our decision-making, but uh, judgments around trading and our trading strategies and so on. We collect all of this data, and then uh, having analyzed it, drawn some conclusions, we, we get together to, to discuss it. And uh, these are... I mean, they're not like most teams who might go off on an offsite and and maybe have a have a nice meal and uh, you know at a, a nice country club somewhere. Uh, these are quite emotionally sort of uh, taxing meetings where you're actually going through your mistakes and seeing how you can uh, learn, improve, and changing the way you you see see things and and what you what you believe to be kind of what you thought would work fact that it doesn't work and, and how you can improve, that's not, you know, that's not easy. It's not trivial. And uh, like I said, we do this a couple of times a year because we think it's it's really worth it. And when we look back at uh, at where we were eight, ten years ago, I think we are on a journey. And we're, the longer we stay together, the longer we do this, I think the stronger stronger we become. No, it's, re it's really interesting. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I think I just have to say in conclusion, in the spirit of full disclosure, Habib doesn't actually own a car, so he's most definitely in that 68% of above average drivers. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Abib. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you, sir. Um, in the spirit of continuous improvement, uh, we welcome all feedback. Um, you can reach us with your thoughts at rbcgam podcasts. That's all one word at rbc.com. Speak soon. Thank you.